All right, welcome, full life, to uh, our Sunday service. My name is Eddie Bang, and I'm the pastor here at Full Life Ministry. It's great that you're joining us today on uh, Sunday afternoon. Uh, welcome. Uh, let's uh, get right to the preaching today. It's the last of our series in the Beatitudes, and I'm pretty excited to finish off this series with you. So why don't we turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. The Word of God reads, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much just for this whole journey you've brought us through, through your word, through these Beatitudes. We thank you, God, for just these absolutely clear teachings that share with us exactly what you want from us. And Lord, as we kind of close that today, we pray that you'll just really convict our hearts and our spirits, Father, not just to understand what we're hearing and what we're learning from you, but Father, in such a way, convict us in such a way that we'd really want to live this out and discover how awesome and beautiful you really are. So God, speak to us, even through the internet, speak to us in such a way, God, that our hearts would just, just rise up and just want to live for you and love you with all that we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, these verses that we just read today, these are actually the last verses of the Beatitudes. And the journey that we've gone on in these past few weeks have been pretty incredible because not only have the teachings been huge, but the promises has also have also been really huge as well. What are some of the things that we've learned? Some of the things that we learned are pretty special. We've learned what it takes to be saved. We learned what God values in us as our children, as, as his children. We learned exactly how we are to live for God and what kind of heart and motives we're supposed to have to, that actually pleases him. You know, so not only that, but we also know exactly what he values in us. And so it's been a great journey of that. But, you know, what's more surprising to me, even as a pastor, as a Christian, or as a son of God, are the promises. I mean, some of them are literally out of this world. Uh, he promises things like the kingdom of heaven can be ours. You know, he promises the earth as our inheritance. He promises that we can be eternally satisfied. That's huge. He promises that we can see him. And he promises that, you know, we'll be called his children. Some amazing, amazing, profound, astounding promises that he gives us. And every single week it almost felt like that as the, you know, the blessings increased, as the promises even got greater. And so it really is, it's amazing. As we get to the last verses, the last beatitude today, it really kind of sets up this great expectation, doesn't it, of what, you know, how he's going to finish this thing off. And I'm really excited to know exactly how he's going to do that. And I think the expectations really couldn't be any greater for the finale. But as we read this last beatitude, it kind of throws us off, doesn't it? It kind of takes a little unexpected turn because it says, blessed are those who are persecuted. You know, things like, you know, being blessed for being saved or loving God or all these things, those things make sense. But persecuted, that's kind of unexpected, right? I thought, Eddie, I thought these were supposed to be foundational teachings. I thought these were supposed to be primary teachings of Christ. So things like salvation and learning how to be saved, learning how to please God, learning what God wants of us, those things make sense. 
Because those things are primary. Those things are foundational. But persecution, is that really foundational to our faith? Is that really primary to our faith? And the answer is yes. Yes, it is. And, you know, it's primary because we know, and we know that's true because the reward for persecution is the exact same reward that we get for salvation in the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The reward is exactly the same. And if you look in the original language in the Greek, it's the exact same words. So what God is conveying to us is pretty amazing because what he's saying to us is that He expects salvation and persecution to go hand in hand in the life of every believer. It's not really a pleasant teaching, but this is what the Word of God says. So yes, persecution is foundational, is primary in the life of a believer. And just in case that wasn't clear enough, Jesus then continues in verse 11, and he goes on to say that blessed are are us, In God's eyes, when people insult us, when people persecute us, when people falsely say all kinds of evil against us. And then, to add insult to injury, he tells us and he commands us how we're supposed to feel about it. He says, rejoice and be glad. You know, and if you didn't know any better, it sounds almost unfair, doesn't it? It even feels very, very cold. And it is, if we live a very us-centered faith. But the moment we transfer our hearts and our mindsets to really be Christ-focused and Christ-centered, all of a sudden we start to begin to realize the, the true treasure and gold behind all of these verses. There's so much more behind them. You know, for those who go on to live out these verses, they'll discover that there are reasons for persecution. There's actually a persecution that brings joy into our lives. It seems unbelievable, but it really is true. Now, before I get into what these verses mean, I want to point out something really unique about this, these last, this last beatitude. Um, all the beatitudes that we read before, they're actually all in the third person. Blessed are those who dot, 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 right? But all of a sudden, when we get into this last beatitude, it turns into the second person. Blessed are you. Right, And that that shift is really, really huge. And not only is it just once, but that word you is repeated many, many times. And so Jesus is not only conveying what is eternally important, but he's also very intentionally conveying how intimately he wants to journey with us through it. Right. And so, you know, and I think the reason why he does it is is a very simple uh, spiritual principle. Nothing brings us closer to Christ and nothing brings Christ closer to us than when we are willing to suffer for him and when we are actually suffering for his name. And so I love it right away as we study this together. I love it that Christ is signaling to us that if we are willing to give our lives completely to him and to even go through persecution and suffering for his glory and for his sake, that he's with us every single step. So what are these verses, what are these verses saying? What do these verses mean? Well, let's start from the beginning. It says that, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And those last three words, because of righteousness, really are the key words to this verse. Because of what it's conveying to us is the type of persecution that God blesses are, is the type of persecution that we receive when we try to live our lives for God's glory and not for anything Else. And that differentiation is actually extremely important. You know, in my life, I've seen so many Christians get persecuted, but not for living for Christ. You know, um, 
As a matter of fact, I think a lot of times they get persecuted because of their lack of Christianity. You know, and this is what I mean. You know, there are a lot of Christians, unfortunately, in this world who are rude. There are a lot of Christians in this world who are insensitive, who are thoughtless. Some of them, a lot of them even have very unpleasing personalities. And so when they get rejected, a lot of times they say, oh, it's because I'm a Christian, I'm being rejected. When in reality, the reason why they're being rejected is because they're just, you know, they're rude and, you know, they're being insensitive and they're, it's just for who they are, you know. Uh, other people, you know, they get rejected for being proud and judgmental. You know, and even worse, a lot of times people get rejected for being piously obnoxious, right? And, and I'll be very honest with you, whenever I meet Christians who are really piously obnoxious, even I want to persecute them because it's just so annoying, right? And so, you know, a lot of other Christians, they get persecuted because they're lazy, you know, or they're simply irresponsible. And so in mixed with arrogance, that's a sure formula for being persecuted. But I just want to be clear, our verses say today, and God says very, very clearly today, that that is not the type of persecution that he's going to bless, the type of persecution that he's going to bless are those who will get persecuted because of righteousness. And to be clear about what that means, uh, to be persecuted because of righteousness means a righteousness from living out the previous seven verses that we've been talking about for the past few weeks. Because anybody who lives out those verses, it's pretty much guaranteed. If you live out those verses, you're going to get persecuted because this world can't tolerate a person who lives out those verses. Let's go through a few of those together. Being poor in spirit, people don't like being poor in spirit. People hate that concept. People hate the concept that we actually need God for anything. People love the self-sufficient. People love to depend upon themselves. So they find those guys just absolutely, you know, repulsive. You know, what about those people who mourn? People who mourn are people who understand that they're sinful. They need forgiveness in their lives. And people don't want to hang around with people like that. You know, they want to believe that they're inherently good, but we're telling them, no, we're inherently bad. That's... Someone who's going to be persecuted. Meekness to the world is weakness, right? People who hunger and thirst for the spiritual in Christ, those people are repugnant to those in this world who only lust after things that they can touch and feel and taste. You know, when people get hurt in this world, retribution, revenge, those things make sense to people, not mercy. You know, people who are merciful, they're like perceived as weak people, as doormats in this world. People get offended by those who are pure in heart. You know right? Why? Because when they're next to people who are pure in heart, it reveals their evilness to themselves because they're so pure, right? And lastly, peacemakers are troublemakers because a lot of people just simply love sweeping issues underneath the, you know, under the rug in relationships. But peacemakers don't do that. Bottom line is that living for Christ goes against all the principles of this world. And for those who live faithfully in this way, they're going to get persecuted somehow and in some way. And, you know, just take, for example, all the faithful people in the Bible, right? People who live faithfully get persecuted. Do you guys know that all the prophets in the Old Testament were persecuted? Well, you know, Jesus says that in our verse today. But all the prophets in the Old Testament, because they lived faithfully for God, they got persecuted. When we look in the New Testament, Jesus and all the disciples, you know, except for one, actually died for Christ. Right? Isn't that amazing? And so it's amazing when we look at this. The Apostle Paul, you know, even afterwards in the New Testament, he's the one that writes this in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And from the main man himself, Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, he says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And that, you know, that's a death sentence 
It's a death invitation, you know, if I ever heard one myself. And so the Bible proves to us over and over and over again that a faithful Christian, to live faithfully for Christ, means persecution. Persecution is the life of a faithful Christian. And even when we look at Christian history, it proves that to us as well. All throughout Christian history, there have been many who have been persecuted and who have even given their lives to follow after Jesus. And this is how some of them summed up their lives. Martin Luther said that uh, suffering is the hallmark of the true church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great pastor who was actually killed in the concentration camps by the Nazis, he writes, suffering is the badge of true discipleship. Spar- Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century, you know, he, there was a verse that he posted above his bed every single night, and he, and he looked at this verse every single night before he went to sleep. You know, a lot of us, when we, you know, when we become Christians, we post verses, right? Do you ever do that in your bathroom or on your bed? And we post these really nice verses like, you know, love the Lord you got with all your heart, soul, mind, and being, things like that, John 3.16. He posted 2 Timothy 3.12. Everyone who lives righteously will be persecuted. That's the verse that he posted. And that's the truth. Everyone who chooses to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. No exceptions. And so, if that's true, and if our logic is correct, then we got to conclude that things like ostracism, persecution, and rejection are just as valid or just as much the mark of a true Christian as things like being poor in spirit or being merciful, right? And if that's true, then we shouldn't be surprised whenever we encounter persecution within our lives, but we should be surprised when we don't encounter persecution within our lives. Therefore, if we call ourselves Christians and we are not encountering persecution regularly, then either, if our logic is correct, we may not be a Christian, a true Christian. Or, if we are a Christian, we're not living faithfully as a Christian. Is that fair to say? I know it's harsh, but it's fair, right? Let's make it clear, however, that persecution is not something that happens all the time, okay? It's not going to happen every single day of your life. And being persecuted doesn't mean that people are throwing rocks at you, you know, when you come out of work, or it doesn't mean that people are going to beat you up right after class. These are not the things that it means, especially in our day and age, in our world today. Persecution takes so many different forms. Some of them are even so subtle, but regardless of what form it takes, it always hurts, Right? Uh, sometimes persecution takes the form of verbal abuse, either directly in your face or a lot of times behind your back. It happens a lot that way. Even ostracism. A lot of times it happens very directly or it could be by innuendo as well. Kind of like the, the, the business worker who worked at his firm for 20 years so faithfully, but he never gets that promotion because he refuses to compromise on his morals or his ethics. Or that student who gets excluded from all the conversations with all the, you know, with everybody else because he refuses to watch those, those certain TV shows or he refuses to listen to that type of music or he refuses to engage in those activities that everybody else does. You get excluded and it's tough. Right? Or maybe even that housewife who's considered dull by all the other ladies because she simply doesn't want to gossip and she doesn't want to participate in the gossip that everyone's taking part in. Regardless of a form it takes, those things hurt. Sometimes getting hurt like that, being excluded, hurts so much more than just getting beat up. You know, I'd rather sometimes just get beat up than be excluded, right? But as sad as these examples are, what's even more sad is not that situations like this occur, but that situations like this don't occur enough. 
You know, when we look at the Western church today, I don't know if persecution is something that we can characterize the Western church by. And I think there's a lot of reasons for this. The first reason for that is, I think a lot of Christians today, we just hang out with other Christians. You know, and if we just hang out with other Christians, then we effectively close ourselves off from any inroads to non-believers in the world today. Right? So we can make no impact and therefore receive no persecution. Uh, and secondly, and I think even greater, the reason why the Western church is not characterized by persecution is simply because the church has become so much like the world already. You know, I read in a book this list, and, he said, and it said this, if you want to get along with the world, the formula is simple. Approve of the world's ethics and morals, at least outwardly. Live for the same things as the world does, to be rich, popular, comfortable. Laugh at all of the world's humor. Immerse yourself in its entertainment. Smile or be silent when God is mocked. Act as if all religions converge on the same road. Don't ever mention hell. Draw no moral judgments. Take no stand on moral political issues. Don't share the gospel at all. And if you do all those things, you'll have smooth sailing in this world. Do any of those sound familiar? Do any of these things characterize your life or your faith as a Christian? You know, as I began ministry and in many years into ministry, I kind of thought that I was doing pretty well. If you asked me these questions five years into ministry, I'd be like, yeah, I'm pretty good at that. But it wasn't until I took a secular job uh, that I discovered that I was probably compromising in a lot of these areas. You know, I actually worked at Apple uh, 12 years ago, I actually helped open the Sydney store and the Chats with Chase store. Yes, I'm an Apple freak. I kind of am, you know, I don't know these days because it's so expensive. Anyway, I used to work at Apple and, you know, you would think that being a, back then I was a Christian of 18 years and you would think that being a Christian of 18 years that you'd be really solid in all of these things, you know, but quite honestly, I probably violated almost every single single point on that list while I was at work. I remember there was this even one day, it was on the Easter weekend, and people were talking about how ridiculous it is that Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross, right? And so, and then they turned to me and they said, Eddie, you're a pastor, aren't you? You know, what do you think about all that? Is that really true? And, you know, they were kind of making fun of Jesus and stuff. And for me, you know, I knew what I felt and I knew what I wanted to say. But all I ended up saying was, hmm, <laughs> you know, I guess we all have our opinions, don't we? And the reason why I say it that way is because I didn't want them to look at me as a religious zealot. I didn't want them to think that I was some crazy Jesus freak. You know, and I cared more about my reputation among those guys than I actually did about what Jesus thought about me. And, you know, I think about that moment so often. I, you know, I wish I could have that moment back. I wish I could have said what I really wanted to say. And I really wish I could have pleased God with my heart, my attitudes, my actions, everything. But I didn't because I cared more about them than I did about God. And, you know, if I had said what I really wanted to say, you know, if I really wanted to say, then I would have been judged and they would have thought all these things. They probably would have made fun of me very, very publicly. You know, but who cares? Because God would have been proud of me. Out of that experience, it kind of solidified two big things to me. You know, I, whenever, especially when I, th when I think about it, uh, it's, it constantly solidifies two huge principles for me that, you know, if you want to be a faithful Christian, and if you want to open yourself up to persecution and be you know, available to persecution, there are two things that you really have to remember and two things that I forgot that day. And the first is this. 
Our lives are not our own. Galatians 2.20 says this. You know, I've been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live now, but it's Christ who lives in me. And in the life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We will never get persecuted in our lives as long as we retain ownership over our own lives. And the reason why is because when we retain ownership over our own lives, our default mode is to protect ourselves even at the cost of God's glory and God's ways. That's what happens. Right, And that's exactly what happened to me. But these verses say that the moment that we put our faith in Christ, we are to surrender ownership into Christ's hands. Our lives are no longer ours. And from that point on, all we are are faithful servants, obedient servants called to make God's name greater, called to make God greater in this world, even at the cost, or maybe even especially at the cost of ourselves. We are to value God and his name and his glory greater than ourselves. Our lives are not our own. Secondly, if we want to live as a Christian in this world and be made available to persecution, then there's a conscientious price that we need to be willing to pay every single day. You know, I said in the previous point that his glory has to mean more to us than our lives, but the reality many times is that it isn't. You know, if we were very honest with ourselves, a lot of times I care more about myself than I do about God. I care more about my preservation than I do about God's glory and his will and all that kind of stuff, if we're honest. But that's where spiritual discipline comes into play. Because what spiritual discipline is, is it's training our minds and our hearts that think this way for ourselves to think that way about God. And what that means on a very practical level is making choices that actually might hurt and making choices that will invite persecution into our lives because these choices will make God greater. And that's what it's all about. You know, Paul understood that principle so powerfully that in Romans 12.1, this is what he writes, and it's probably a verse that a lot of us memorized. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, you know, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. I want you to think about that phrase, living sacrifices. Or think about the word sacrifice. What's a sacrifice? A sacrifice is something that we offer to simply die, right? That we know a sacrifice is going to get killed. And so when, when Paul is commanding us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God, what is he saying? He's saying that you need to, every single day, offer up your life in order to die for God. That's the mentality that a faithful Christian is supposed to have. So there's a cost for living for Jesus, isn't there? And if we call ourselves Christians, we need to count that cost every single day. Every single day of our lives, we need to be people who are daily presenting ourselves, offering ourselves to die for God. That is a faithful Christian. 100 years after Jesus preached this particular Sermon on the Mount, these Beatitudes, so it's like 130 AD now, there was this businessman who went up to uh, Tertullian. Uh, Tertullian is a very, very famous like church father. He's like really hardcore, famous church father guy. Okay, anyway. So this businessman goes up to him and says, you know, hey, I, I, there's a conflict that I have in my business. He goes, what is it? You know, there's this business deal that's about to go on. The thing is, we're about to go under, but if this business deal goes forward, then, you know, I get to feed my kids and my wife and we get to live. But if this business deal goes south and, and um, it doesn't work out, then I won't be able to feed my family. And so he, so he goes, what's the problem? Why don't you just make the business deal? And he said, because that business deal conflicts with what Christ would want in my life. So I need to make that deal in order to feed my family, don't I? And Tertullian said, do you really need to? And that's all he said, meaning 
that true Christians are willing, are, never compromise what would please Christ, even if it means dying, literally dying, your children, your wife, literally dying, in order to make Christ happy, in order, in order to be faithful to God. That's so radical, isn't it? That's absolutely radical. It blows my mind. But it clearly reminds us of everything that Jesus has ever taught us when he preached to us, and that's that believers are must be willing to pay the price to follow after Jesus, and that price is persecution. So our verses tell us very, very clearly today that salvation and persecution go hand in hand. Persecution must be seen in the life of a believer, or maybe we can logically conclude that that person may not be a true believer at all. If persecution doesn't exist within the church, then maybe that particular church is not a true and faithful church. But the only way that persecution comes is when we, the church, decide to live for Christ with all that we have. And when we individually choose to declare kingdom righteousness and live out the holiness of Christ in all of the relationships within our lives. So persecution and salvation go hand in hand. Now, there's one last part of these verses that we haven't covered yet, and it's the part where Jesus tells us to rejoice and be glad because of persecution. Now, if Jesus is telling us that we should rejoice and be glad in persecution, that means that we can actually rejoice, rejoice and be glad in persecution. So the question then is, how can we rejoice in persecution? And how can we actually be glad in rejection? And here's the answer. We can rejoice and be glad every single time we are persecuted because Christ always uses persecution to bear eternal fruit. He, if I can say it even more simply, Christ always uses persecution to bring about revival, not only personally, but corporately as well. He brings revival personally because the more we get persecuted for Jesus, the greater Christ becomes to us. Right, the greater he becomes our treasure. Remember that we mentioned that this particular verse is written in the second person, and that's very intentional, because not only does Christ want to convey eternal things, but he wants to convey to us how personally he wants to journey with us through persecution. Nothing brings us closer to Christ, and nothing brings Christ closer to us than when we go through persecution and when we're willing to go through persecution. Because when we're persecuted, not only do we run to Christ, right? Whenever you get persecuted, whenever something bad happens because of your faith, man, we run to Jesus, don't we? And not only do we run to Christ, but at that moment, we know when we feel that Christ is running to us. And not only does he run to us, but he embraces us, he comforts us, he loves us, and he strengthens us, and he encourages us. And it is that that makes that absolutely awesome. And, and the thing is, if the person that we're getting persecuted for reveals himself to us in such a way that we actually end up treasuring him more than the pain and the suffering that we're going through because of it, then that is a reason to rejoice, isn't it? It is. And so the greatness of this reward that Jesus talks about really is Christ himself, isn't it? And not only does he make that persecution worth it, but if the reward is more of Christ, not only can we rejoice and be glad with every persecution that comes our way, but unbelievably, sometimes it really makes us hunger for even more persecution. If we can have more of Jesus 
as a result. That's exactly what Paul means when he writes here in Philippians 3.10. This is a crazy verse, but it's probably one that you memorized as well. But he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection so that I might share in his sufferings, and here we go, even becoming like him in his death. And what he's saying here is, I understand that the more I get persecuted for Christ, the more of Christ I get. And I love that. And I want that so much within my life that I actually want to not just suffer as Christ did, but I want to die like Christ did. That's absolutely nuts. That's absolutely crazy. But it rings so true, doesn't it, to those who suffer as Christ did. We can rejoice in persecution because Jesus becomes greater to us. So Jesus brings revival personally, but he also brings revival corporately. Because the more we get persecuted for our faith, the more people will actually come to Christ. Right? You know, throughout history, whenever persecution hit the church, and you can just Google it yourself, whenever persecution hit the church, that's when God poured out his power through the church immensely right? People will come to Christ. People will turn from their sin. People will start living for Jesus. And Christ, what we realize is Christ uses persecution to bring revival. And let me back that up with a few stats here, okay? Right now, at this moment, there are, 100, there are 193 officially recognized countries by the United Nations. But anyone who's ever seen the Commonwealth Games knows that there's so many more countries than those that are actually officially recognized by the United Nations. There are actually, like I think, 63 or 64 more states that used to be countries at one time, but because of the British Empire. Anyway, but who used to be countries at one time, but no longer are countries now. They are simply just like, you know, independent or dependent territories. Anyway, with that in mind, here are the stats. Do you know how many countries in this world have been fully evangelized? Not because of the amount of Christians that went there, but because of the amount, because of its long history of martyrs, people who actually decided to die for Christ in those countries? 210. 210 countries have been reached for Christ because people decided to die for Jesus in those countries. Out of those 210 countries, do you know how many of those countries were actually, uh, actually experienced widespread revival, meaning hundreds of thousands of people coming to Christ at a concentrated amount of time? 40. 40 of those countries. Why? Because of the long history of martyrs, people who decided to value God greater than themselves. And the bottom line is this, wherever there is persecution, there's revival. God uses persecution to bring people to Christ. And that is every reason to rejoice and be glad. Practical lesson, if you want to see people come to Christ around you, then what we need to do is very, very simple, isn't it? We need to start living our lives for Christ with all that we have. We need to deny ourselves every single day. We need to start living faithfully. We need to start maybe making choices that hurt a little bit. We need to make sure that we're you know, turning away from sin, living righteously. We need to make sure that we're preaching the gospel fearlessly and getting beat up for it. We need to make that choice. We need to make that choice every single day to live so faithfully for God that we're willing and we might even make choices to get persecuted because we know that when we do, not only will God and Christ become more valuable to us, but God will use that persecution to bring many to Christ through our persecution, right? The prophets did it in the Old Testament. The disciples did it in the New Testament. There have been so many all throughout Christian history that have been a part of that elite group of followers that were used in that way. And now this is our chance to be a part of that eternal legacy as well. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's live faithful lives for Christ. Let's pray. It's a very difficult